shortly after 1.30 today, Finance Minister Katrina Conroy rose in the legislature and she highlighted a budget big on spending, focusing on health care, affordability, and budget deficits. In fact, BC's budget deficit for 2023-2024 is projected to be more than $4 billion. It's a budget, a budget deficit is being projected for three years. Now, there's also $37 billion in capital spending as well. That means building new schools, hospitals, and highways. There's also another $8.7 billion directed towards program spending, particularly health care. Take a listen. Our government is taking action now to deliver better health care for more people. This, year, this year's budget builds on the work we've done with an additional $6.4 billion to strengthen and improve health care over the next three years. We're continuing to manage COVID-19 and flu levels by supporting the ongoing public health response. And as our population increases and ages, we're adding $2.6 billion over the plan to meet the growing demand for health services, including cancer care. There's also been a lot of talk, of course, of a renter's rebate that the NDP government promised way back in the election campaign of 2017 when the Premier, or John Horgan, was leader and eventually becoming Premier. Uh, they are, uh, within this budget, they're not promising or not providing a renter's rebate, but certainly a renter's tax credit. Take a listen to what the finance minister had to say. Whether you're a young person looking for your first home away from home, a family wanting more space, or a senior enjoying your retirement years. While some things, like interest rates, are out of our control, we can make things, other things, a little better. That's why we launched a new $500 million rental protection fund to safeguard people against evictions and rent hikes while we're protecting rental buildings for many years to come. It's why we are making new investments in BC housing to upgrade older rental buildings while adding thousands of new rental homes. And Mr. Speaker, it's why we are introducing a new renter's tax credit. That was Finance Minister Katrina Conroy speaking uh, just over two hours ago. Now, you can look at budgets differently. Uh, you know, when we talk to our guest at uh, 315, Sarah Eftakar, she is the campaign member uh, for Access BC. She was ecstatic today because uh, starting on April 1st, BC will become the first jurisdiction in Canada to provide free prescription contraception. Uh, the government is setting aside $119 million over three years. Now, at 3 o'clock, we spoke to Bridget Anderson, presidency of the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade, and she said it was a big spending budget, and she gave it a C minus. So, depending on how look at you, how you look at this budget, it's a great budget, or it's a budget that uh, is leading uh, BC. Some would argue over the fiscal cliff. Joining me now to talk a little bit about today's budget because he's seen many of these budgets over the last uh, few decades is Keith Baldry, Global BC's legislative bureau chief. Keith, welcome. Hi, Jazz. So, your thoughts on this? You're in lockup, and you've been in many lockups, and I've been in some of these budget lockups with you. Your thoughts on this budget announcement today? It's not a tax and spend budget, but it is a spend budget. And it's very, I just came from a reception where there's a lot of um, government types there and stakeholders. Uh, you quoted Bridget Anderson as given a C minus. Uh, also, other stakeholders. In the business community in particular, I think I uh, received a much more negative reaction to this budget than we've seen in any budget under since the NDP came to power in uh, 2017. Uh, so not a big uh, tax budget, but the carbon tax is going up steadily over the next 10 years. But there is a significant spending. And some, a couple of the Democrats described it to me as a typical NDP budget. This is more in keeping with the traditional NDP budget of the 1990s, which really spent a lot of money on infrastructure, a lot of money on health care, 
and didn't worry so much about balancing the books. And so, of course, I don't see how they would have balanced the books right now without some severe restraint. But uh, this year's surplus was sort of a fluke. Now we're set for deficits for three years. But, you know, as we talked about this before. Once the pandemic hit, the whole sort of notion of a balanced budget seemed to just get blown out of the water. All governments suddenly had their bu- their budgets crater three years ago. Very few are getting back to the, to normal in terms of balancing the books. So I think the public has also shifted its attitudes about is the balanced budget really the holy grail or is it services and to people, particularly when people are facing affordability issues, the likes of which we haven't faced for decades. And I think the NDP is betting here that mm-hmm. the public is on side with spending money, whether it's a renter's tax credit, whether it's almost $50 billion in infrastructure in terms of building schools, highways, bridges, um, uh, health facilities over three years. A massive amount of infrastructure, a massive amount of spending, particularly in health care. I think the NDP is gambling or betting that that's where the public's mindset is right now. Not on balancing the books or having fiscal restraint, but quite the opposite. So, I mean, all budgets, I guess, are political documents as well. And the political calculation is at this point, and even in a post-COVID environment, I know it's not gone, but they still believe, that, as you're saying, the public is believing that this is where we need to be focusing our dollars, healthcare, uh, affordability issues, mental health and addiction, and, and as you say, significant capital investments, significant capital spending. Yes, and I, I, it's interesting. On our Global's Morning News this morning, this sort of went around the lockup today. Uh, Liberal leader Kevin Falcon was on, and he criticized the government for spending the surplus right now, a record surplus, the biggest in BC history, um, well more than north of seven billion dollars. And what the Liberals did in 2017, on the eve of the 2017 election, mm-hmm. Mike DeYoung, the finance minister, famously, instead of spending a three billion dollar surplus at the end of the fiscal year, just before the election decide to put it against the debt, which actually has zero impact on the average person pocketbook. The NDP, I think it's been talked about quite a bit, viewed that as a bit of political suicide. And Falcon is advocating apparently the same thing, which is a, a, a classic conservative view of the books, is that you take any extra money and you put it against the debt. And the NDP historically has not ever really advocated that position, although Carol James, when she was finance minister, did bring in balanced budgets and did pay down the debt a bit. But right now the debt is going to go from $93 billion in the current fiscal year to $134 billion three years from now. And much of that is deficits, but a big bulk of that is spending on infrastructure. And that's a critical difference between the BC Liberals and the NDP, in my mind, is that the Liberals' priority is is that fiscal conservatism to pay down debt. The NDP's priority is not worry about the debt, spend money on programs and services that people want. But if you take what the federal government's been doing, running deficits, deficits since 2015, and less so in this province, and I understand that, but isn't there time for fiscal reckoning somewhere along the way that the public does inevitably move back to, hey, wait a minute here, the, the, well, these deficits yeah. our kids have to pay off eventually? We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the notion that our kids have to pay, well, that hasn't, people have been saying that for decades, and you haven't had to do, kids haven't had to do that. Um, the payback is could be a day of reckoning down the road, but governments of all stripes have decided that road, that day may be way down the road, and right now the priority is not to have fiscal restraint, but to basically, at a time when we're still in a pandemic, extraordinary economic upheaval, now is the time to have money dollars flow back to the taxpayers rather than um, to the to the basically the banks to pay down the debt. Let's talk about healthcare for a second. Uh, is this the highest spending announcement yes. ever for healthcare? 
Yes, by far. This is the biggest annual lift, two, more than $2.3 billion from year to year. Wow. Uh, which is, you know, we're going to be hitting the $30 billion uh, healthcare budget two years from now. I remember when we hit $20 billion a few years ago, everybody thought that was astronomical. Uh, no, it's it's really exploded. And it's, um, you know, it's about a billion dollars for primary care, just health services, about a billion dollars for um, for uh, the new doctor's pay model. Um and about $900 million for um, uh, uh, mental health services. This is over three years. So it's a, it is a, a significant lift in the health care budget, likes of which we haven't seen before. But again, I think the NDP is betting that the public wants to see more money in health care, a significant amount of money in health care, because we are hitting the wall in health care. Uh, we've talked about this many times. We've all done stories on this, on uh, you know, ER is being closed overnight, wait lists getting longer, uh, shortage of doctors. These things are coming to a head, and I think uh, this budget reflects the fact that uh, people have been demanding more and more health care. And because the population is aging, BC's population is is getting old, and it's getting older at a greater rate than any other province because we have more older people here who come out to BC to retire. Uh, the older you are, the more likely you're going to have more interactions with the health care system. So BC's in a situation that likes of which other provinces are not, which is reflected in the fact this huge increase over three or $6.4 billion is uh, quite significant. But the big lift is from the current year to next year, $2.3 billion. We are speaking to Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief, uh, Keith Baldry. He is part of our budget coverage. We're also going to be speaking to Ken Peacock, Chief Economist for the Business Council of British Columbia, who will be joining us at 5.30. Peter Millibar, the BC Liberal Critic for Finance, uh, will be joining us at 5 to talk a little bit about the BC budget as well. Uh, now, Keith, let's talk about uh, the bigger issue of housing. Uh, you know, I think, that from what I can tell, about $160 $640 million, sorry, uh, will be spent over three years for supportive housing, $169 million for complex care for housing units, uh, $228 million for rapid response for communities. There's lots of uh, dollars thrown in there in regards to housing, and to my understanding, a full housing plan is is coming from Housing Minister Ravi Kalo very soon. The core issue, though, of housing, the issue of supply, that's still, and it's not going to come in this budget, and I understand that, but that hasn't been addressed. I mean, the dollars are putting towards housing is helping those that are, are, are in need have complex care issues, but the broader issue of affordability, that person who's paying $2,500 rent for a one-bedroom condo in Vancouver, those people still need help, and it's not going to come from a budget. No, there's the renter's tax credit, which is $400, um, which you max out with if your income hits $60,000, then it's prorated after that. But in terms of the broader housing issue, they're spending you know, a record number of dollars on housing, like so, which we really haven't seen before. But it's an open question whether it's going to have a, a lot of impact, because there's a lot of moving parts here. It's not just the provincial government. There's municipal governments. There's zoning laws. There's um, NIMBYism. There's uh, people... say they want housing, but they don't want a certain type of housing. So it's a very complex issue. I think there's going to be some progress made on this file, but it's an open question over whether this type of investment is going to have the the desired outcome, because again, the province doesn't operate in a vacuum here. Um, But it's it's interesting, if not encouraging, that for the first time since the 70s, we have a housing ministry that's dedicated to helping to solve the housing problem. But like I say, 
It's more than just words in a budget speech. It's going to be interesting how this plays out on the ground. Uh, let's talk about COVID-19 costs, 2022-2023 budgets, so this past budget. Uh, the pandemic cost taxpayers $1.4 billion for vaccine clinics, overtime costs, and, and other issues here. Uh, is that number heading in the right direction in regards to less spending? Well, sort of. It's down to 875 um, for the current year. And then it's, then it's going to be reclassified and go into the broader general health um, budget. So we, one of the tables in the, in, the, um, in the budget breaks down health care spending. Well, the, the COVID-related health component disappears after the coming year. It doesn't show off as a line item. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be hard to track that. Now, presumably the number is going to continue to go down because there's, there's less and less people getting vaccinated. Most people have received at least two doses, but the number of people getting third and fourth and fifth doses isn't nearly as many as people with two doses. But that may change. Who knows? And as I say, we're still in the pandemic, and who knows if another strain comes through, you know, a variant uh, suddenly takes over again. So it's going to be in the budget, but the numbers have been going down simply because we haven't had as many clinics, for example. We haven't had as many overtime hours from people working in the clinics, uh, vaccination clinics. So the number is still pretty high this year, um, but it's going down ever so slightly in the coming years. Let's talk carbon tax just for a second here. Look, I believe, uh, you know, climate change is real. I think we should put a price on carbon, but I also believe we shouldn't get too far ahead of other jurisdictions who have uh, minimal carbon tax or no carbon tax, which would be uh, many countries and subnational economies around the world. Now, the carbon tax here goes from $65 per ton, uh, goes up to $65 per ton April 1st, and it's projected to go up uh, till 2030 to $170 per ton. Now, uh, if, for, the, for the person listening, individuals listening to this going, well, what's that mean? Well, it means right now you pay 11 cents per liter uh, in carbon tax when you go to the pump. By 2030, it's going to be 30 cents a liter. Now, I understand the federal government's uh, responsible for a lot of this as well, but the rubber's got at the road somewhere in regards to how yeah. much taxpayers can afford here, and, and that doesn't include a 17 cent transit tax the, the on number, top of that. The number we got was actually 37 cents per liter. Wow! In the, from the Treasury Board, so it's um, uh, so one of the one of the arguments this was certainly the talk of the, our lockup with some of the experts is the number of people driving electric vehicles by 2013 is expected to increase significantly. Uh, so there'd be fewer and fewer people filling up at the pumps. Nevertheless, that still means there's going to be a heck of a lot of people still filling up with you know, gasoline at the pump, and it does mean your, your carbon price is going to triple, more than triple, uh, in the next seven years. So it's, uh, just keep an eye on that one. We'll see if that changes over time. But uh, you mentioned the TransLink tax. The issue of price at the pump is, you know, it comes up every now and then when the price gets sky high, but we see relatively few changes. And now the carbon tax, the one tax that's going up in this budget that I can determine is the carbon tax, and it's going to go up each and every year. It starts at $50 a ton, and it's going to go to $170 a ton. Now, there are some new credit schemes being brought in to, for heavy emitter industries to take advantage of, and we see yet to get the details on that. Well, that's a file definitely we have to keep an eye on. Uh, Keith, thank you so much for your time today. Anytime, Jazz. Take care.